Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, boys and girls, we are back with another edition of the Ben Domenech Podcast brought to you by Fox News. You can check out all of our podcasts at foxnewspodcast.com. I hope that you'll rate, review, and subscribe to this one. Share it with a friend if you find it of interest. Today I have a conversation with uh, one of the substackers who I follow uh, very closely. Uh, I subscribe, I pay to subscribe to his substack, uh, which tells you how much I'm interested in what he has to say. Ethan Strauss is perhaps the greatest uh, sports substacker out there. He is someone who writes about both the business of sports uh, and the different cultural implications, as well as covering it from a lot of different perspectives. He's a former NBA beat writer, uh, something that has really gone out of style. We'll talk about that a little bit. But he's also someone who's the author of a couple of pieces recently about the effect that the new uh, name, image, and licensing rules have had on uh, college sports, and particularly uh, what they've done when it comes to impacting the games uh, from a, uh, a gender divide perspective. Essentially, and we get into this, uh, the what's going on is, is something I think that's uh, absolutely predictable. Uh, the, the best athletes in terms of NIL performance on the male side tend to be people who are at the top of their game. They tend to be people who are, you know, excellent uh, college football athletes and the like. Uh, but when it comes to the female side of the, perspe- of the uh, perspective, uh, they actually are able to essentially leverage uh, their looks and their aesthetic appeal in order to gain uh, more attention. He's called it the cornucoving of sports, uh, and I think that that's an apt title. Uh, there's also uh, other titles that we'll get into as well in terms of his piece uh, for the free press talking about uh, the uh, impact that this has had on a couple of athletes in particular, the Cavender Twins. Uh, but then we also uh, talk about a number of other areas where uh, there has been really a sea change in the landscape of sports media thanks to the prevalence of uh, a new approach driven in part by uh, betting interests, gambling interests, and the like uh, over the traditional approach uh, to covering sports in media. Uh, we'll have more of uh, our conversation with with Ethan Strauss uh, coming up next, but I encourage you to uh, check out his Substack. It's House of Strauss, uh, and you can also uh, subscribe there and uh, get his podcasts as well. He's a prolific writer and podcaster, uh, and I strongly recommend uh, that you check him out. Ethan Strauss coming up next. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 
Ethan Strauss, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me. So I have to confess, I you know uh, have different podcasts and different uh, substacks that I try to keep up with. And the simple fact is that your level of output in terms <laughs> of content that you create is uh, one of the few areas where I actually fall behind. And, and so oh. I don't always, I'm not always able to keep up with the amount that you're producing. Um, but I was very fascinated when you popped up uh, in, uh, in a different uh, feed where I do kind of, I'm able to keep up with what they do uh, from the Free Press and Barry Weiss's publication, following on what I thought of as being a, a really seminal piece from you uh, a couple of months back on the, the cornucoving of, of college mm. sports and everything that came out of that with this profile of the, the Cavender twins. And then you wrote an additional essay, which I actually found even more interesting about kind of the business side of, of that and what it also meant as it related to uh, sports media and to this transition from uh, beat reporting, you know, actually paying attention to what's going on, uh, you know, in the field of play or in the arena uh, versus kind of TikTok personalities tied to various organizations. Uh, and then... I saw you go viral <laughs> in a way that I never thought I would expect you to. Me too. Do. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so I wanted to talk to you about all of that uh, because I feel like it's a very interesting uh, element of both kind of an example of, of uh, the challenge of writing about these things, uh, yeah. of, of detailing the phenomenon, uh, and also uh, you know sort of the unique differences that happen when you are trying to essentially cover athletes who are functioning instead as kind of celebrity personalities. Um, yeah. And it, it, so one of the things I wanted to ask you just first off is, did you ever expect when you were asked to go and profile uh, the Kavanagh twins to, to pay attention to what they were doing, that it would be the thing that would end up getting you into USA Today and all these other places no. in, in, no, in the no. way that you did? I'm often naive about it. Uh, I've had two big controversies, viral controversies I've been a part of. The first was when I was a reporter covering the Golden State Warriors in 2019. And I said that Kevin Durant was probably going to leave the Warriors. And he, he definitely took umbrage to that. And lo and behold, he, he left the Warriors. I thought that was pretty obvious too. He wasn't saying anything good about being on the Warriors uh, in constant press conferences, and there was just enough behind the scenes. And then in this instance, I, I guess uh, it was controversial to say that looks are a part of why women's athletes are getting more NIL money, even though everybody knows that. Uh, that's what caused the controversy here. I wrote the article for the Free Press. I don't think it was that controversial when I wrote it, um, and the title was a little bit provocative. It was something like the NCAA has a hot girl problem and, uh, the Cavender twins released a statement. Um, they didn't like, uh, I think sexist trope might've been used as a, as a phrase and the idea that women can only profit off their looks and yada, 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 yada. Um, and I, I'm not sure if they were just responding to the title there wasn't much about the substance uh, that that was really objected to, but it just seemed, a, I don't know, kind of a fascinating bit of a kayfabe, uh, just in that 
everybody kind of knows what's going on, but when somebody actually says it, all of a sudden it loses its power. Maybe that's well, the mentality because otherwise maybe, maybe I'm really struggling. Um, yeah. But they, they, I mean, they did. I, I'm going to say, I'm going to be more critical of them. I don't know if, uh, yeah. if you feel comfortable, but um, <laughs> I was frankly, I don't, I don't, I, I, was, I don't want to get into a big argument with 22 year old TikTok I Zoomers. I understand. <laughs> That's my. I thing. was deeply no. offended by the way that they <laughs> talked about you. And ah. I was offended because uh, the it seemed like they were trying to make it into a sort of stalkerish thing. <laughs> like we invited this gentleman into our home, never expecting <laughs> that he would write about the fact that we are young, attractive <laughs> women, and that that is something that has actually enabled our careers and, yeah. and helped us make more money. And it's like, what the hell do you think? You're, like, I mean, come on. How do you think it, this, it, this is? This is ridiculous. It, you know how you this notice, works. Ben, Everyone did you notice that there, <laughs> you might have noticed the glossy photo? Uh, that was the photo shoot. Uh, this was a very preordained... Kind of situation. You don't, it wasn't oh, me. You they don't dress like that just normally. You know, I mean, come on, this is yeah. ridiculous. It's it's like it, saying, it's... I mean, I'm sorry. On a certain level, it's yeah. it, it's basically saying you. It, it's as if you had come into, uh, you know, write a profile of you know the the up and coming hot Hollywood actress or yeah. you know the I don't know Britney Spears in the early 2000s or something like that, and never made and and you you didn't think that that would be part of the piece. Like, what is ah. what is wrong with you? You know, this is going to be something that you comment on. And the 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 other thing is, commenting on that actually doesn't denigrate their athletic prowess in the sense that you you no. actually make a distinction between you know one of them was a pretty good player, the other one really was not as good of a player, but they have yeah. this twin factor that sort of uh, you know benefits them. But here's the other thing. There's nothing wrong with that. They're hustling. No. They're like you're you're trying to make the most of your opportunity. And, you know, I mean, let's let's flip the the genders for a minute. If there was some, hmm. you know, athlete who was a really subpar quarterback or wide receiver, but he was really hot and he was making a lot of money in the NIL, you would be covering that. Like that would yeah. be like this is not like a, a a sexist or gender specific thing. It's like you know so and so has dropped you know forty passes you know in the last no. six games, cool. and yet he's making the most nil money because he knows how to pose for Instagram. You know and that's like that's yeah. the way that this works. It's just reality, but also the interesting part was that uh, in their statement, and I don't want to relitigate this and have a big argument with them over it because frankly, it is what it is, but. Uh, they said that I asked only one question about their physical looks. That was, they put that in, in scare quotes. I actually did not ask a single question about that. I recorded the entire interview. I've got the whole transcript, everything else. I because wouldn't want to be in the, I, I would also, I just wouldn't want to be in the position that I ended up in. That, that was frankly it. I don't want to be in that situation. No. Um, I don't, I don't want to be Homer Simpson from the gummy DeMilo episode. I way, didn't want that. That was such a great, that was such a great pull. But then it made me re remember that that episode like also marks our age. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Although it's timeless. It's it's a classic is what I would it's a classic is is what I would say. Um, yeah, I, I just uh, so, yeah, I didn't actually ask about that, but we did quote other people talking about it because it, it is a little bit controversial. And, and here's the thing. Um, for those who don't know, uh, to give some quick exposition sure. uh, in 
college sports, you did not get paid to do them. You were not allowed to be paid to do them for decades, 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 decades. And then the Supreme Court in 2021 ruled that, hey, this cannot continue. Uh, this this is this violates the antitrust rules that we have. And so that opened up something called NIL, name, image, likeness. So now the athletes of these universities can get paid by boosters, but they can also profit off of their brand. There was some hand-wringing going into it that, oh my God, the men are going to get paid so much more than the women Mm -hmm. because there's more demand to watch men's sports than women's sports. The women have been surprisingly competitive, but there's this new wrinkle that I think makes administrators and the NCAA bureaucracy a little uncomfortable, which is that unlike with the men, it's not entirely correlated to who's the best at the sport. You've got the Cavender twins who made more money than anybody has ever made in the history of the planet playing women's basketball. One, pretty good starter, but not WNBA level. The other, coming off the bench, that that clearly has more to do with branding uh, image and mm-hmm. being big on TikTok. And aesthetics are part of that. And so what you're seeing is a massive disruption to the way things were and these very difficult to reconcile forces because in the past, say what you will, the NCAA, it was high on prestige and low, obviously on payment because you weren't allowed to be paid. Now it's getting a little funny. It's the cornucovian as I, as I said. So, so I want to unpack that quite a bit because, you know, from my perspective, this is a, this is a conversation that I remember having, you know, decades ago when we were still, you know, playing NCAA football games that had Eric Crouch in it, you know, and that kind oh, of yeah. thing where it's like, you know, okay, here's a guy who's never going to go to the NFL or if he does, he's going to be some, you know, sort of failed white wide receiver. He's going to, you know, flame out at the Rams or whatever. Like th- these are people whose skill sets are completely confined to the college game. Uh, shouldn't yeah. they have the ability to profit from that, to mm. go out and do ads for, you know, the local Ford dealership or something like that? Because yeah. they have a limited window in which they're going to be able to profit from it. And because, you know, we understand that the universities are making huge amounts of, num- of money just yeah. selling jerseys with their number on it. And so that was always kind of the centerpiece of the argument. What it left out, which we've since discovered, is that there's this whole influencer side of it that doesn't really require you to actually be good at the sport it, it requires you to mm. have a different skill set and yeah. this is the thing that was so interesting about your your other piece that you wrote for your own Substack, which again i i found to be even more interesting which detailed that basically this is a real skill set it requires you to do actual work mm. in order to influence in order to to connect with your audience and as much as we you know elder millennials can look down on the TikTok generation as being ephemeral and, you know, not caring as much about, you know, the the work of writing or something like that. They actually are doing work in terms of the way that they're uh, producing these things as if they are admin, basically, coming yeah. up with new hooks, uh, new language, uh, you know, the, the right music to put behind a certain thing uh, in ways that are foreign to us but are still, you know, a skill set. Yeah. It, it it's all so stupid and it requires so much savvy and so much skill it's it's a paradox um i mentioned uh they the Cavenders have partnered with a gambling slash content company 
run by Jake Paul, the influencer slash boxer out of uh, Puerto Rico, which is his tax shelter. And already some of your listeners are going, what are they even talking about? What is this <laughs> even about? But Jake Paul is a master of getting that sort of attention. He has 17 million followers on TikTok, and he is running that company. And the first thing they had the Cavenders do when I was there, uh, when this man showed up, uh, <laughs> yeah, I get stalking. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, no. Well, okay. So, Let's so save him for I, a second, but continue. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we're we're, we're going to save De- we're going to save uh, the Derek situation. What yes. they're thinking there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get into Derek, but I'm going to make this point. The interesting thing to me about the the Zoomers and younger is how non institutional they are, and mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that is a function of technology. And how much of that is a function of the boomers creating a bottleneck and then just we're not able to ascend and replenish in the traditional structures like we were able to. Jake Paul's interesting to me because he's got 17 million followers. He is rich enough to where he's hiding his money and living in Puerto Rico off of being an entertainer. And he is so non-institutional. He was telling the Cavenders that that you know, you're bigger than the conglomerate as crazy as that sounds. And it might be so, and there are other implications, you know, it's interesting talking to you on, on a more conservative outlet because it occurred to me, I didn't put this in the article that Jake Paul's a huge Trump head, just a huge Trump supporter. And how does that hurt his career? Not at all. Not at all. It doesn't do anything to him. If he was a big time Hollywood actor if he was in the academic world, um, if he was doing TV, or if he was a sports broadcaster, I think this would all hurt him, or mm-hmm. he wouldn't be able to really do whatever he wanted. Instead, because he's non-institutional, um, you know, in one of the places outside of uh, pretty much anywhere institutionally outside of Fox, I'm thinking about mainstream things, yeah. y- you really can't be the kind of Trump head he is, but he can, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't even hurt him get... It hurt him in getting other celebrity guests on his podcast. They don't care either. They are just completely orthogonal to everything that's happening because, uh, as Ben Smith has argued in Traffic, uh, these technologies empower the individual, and the individuals are having power now over the institutions. And so what's happening, as dumb as it all is, is almost an insurgency. You know, the I do want to get into kind of the setup that they've that they've created here the uh, this Derek uh, character uh, so the I'm familiar with this mostly because I consume being being an elder millennial I, mm-hmm. I consume barstool content which is designed yep. for people who are you know 40 years old and and pretend like they are fresh out of college um, and uh, and I find some of it amusing and some of it tiresome. Um, I'm, I'm not really into the the, um, the faux soap opera aspects of, of mm. some some of it, but I do think that you know the this interesting approach to how we're going to promote gambling. You know, uh, we've, we've talked about we've talked about you know fracking the pie and that kind of thing as you as you have coined it. Um, that that's an interesting sort of challenge in the sense that. You know, we, we don't we want to hype up gambling for these people who are going to be gambling with very low amounts of money. You know, how do we do that? Well, we do it with, uh, you know, basically a shtick, a story, a narrative that we're putting in front of them with regularity. And in the case of this setup, 
uh, that involves, you know, the twins paired with other uh, personalities uh, in order to tell a story. And what is that story? Well, in the case of Derek, Derek was the first guy that they had the meet on camera and everything is in this weird zone, this liminal zone between contrived and real, but they contrived a meeting with Derek. Derek is this scrawny kind of, kind of guy. And it was an odd interaction to watch because I didn't know any of the backstory when I watched it. And I'm actually in the back of the shot that they, uh, at, at better, we haven't even seen the, seen, said the name of it, but Jake Paul's yeah. content shot better that they put on TikTok. B-E-P-R. <laughs> yeah. Better. Yeah. Um, but they, I do want one cap- of those shirts. One of those shirts uh, is that, that I, I oh, yeah, me too. Hundred gambler shirts. <laughs> I, I kind of want that as well. I think that's kind of a cool, ironic shirt that they had there at this gambling company. They had 1 800 gambler t shirts, and that's a real hotline for if you have a gambling problem. It, I said it's like back in the early 2000s when stoners wore those dare shirts, but anyway, I'm getting far afield. Uh, so Derek. Uh, they they meet Derek and they're filming it and he seems put off and he asks them if they're going to make gambling picks and they say yes and he goes well that's kind of my job and he looks humiliated and I'm watching it and going what is what is even happening here and then I dig into it and Derek's whole shtick is to make bad picks and humiliate himself and everybody laughs at what a loser he is and they then spun that off where the Cavenders were going to the Miami Heat playoff games and they were winning their bets and poor Derek was losing their bets and they were taunting him. And then there are other clips actually where Jake Paul is bullying him and it's the broadest stupid comedy. It's just this guy, this guy is very confident and all his picks are wrong. But then you step back from it and you realize that there might be a method to the madness and that Jake Paul, I mean, whatever you think of him is amassed uh, quite a career for himself. And I believe the thought process is this is habituating young men into losing money towards the better coffers or perhaps looking at this guy and going, I could do better than Derek. And by mm-hmm. God, Derek is hanging out with the Cavenders. So as bad as Derek is doing, even though he's losing, that's a pretty good deal he has right there. I don't know if that's an effective strategy, but I do believe it is here's the strategy. Why, they, they didn't just do it you, arbitrarily. Here's why I will tell you that is an effective strategy. For about the first half of this past NFL season, um, uh, Barstool's big cat could not buy a win. Like his mm. his vibe was just completely off for like the first seven, eight weeks of the, this past NFL season. Fading him was so satisfying because mm. because he would obviously post on social media about like his various picks and he had again it actually even led to obviously this lawsuit this hilarious lawsuit about the quote unquote can't lose parlay mm. <laughs> that he had at that point where uh you know they've actually had to defend in court that no reasonable person would believe that the can't lose parlay yeah. cannot lose <laughs> mm. <laughs> which which is it's particularly funny because they're having to defend it over a week in which yeah. they can't lose parlay actually won. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. But yeah. it's very Par- satisfying when you personalize yeah. the bet. And this is actually something that I think they're uh, – here's my theory of it. My theory of it is people actually – when you beat an app, mm. it's not very satisfying. Like you feel good about it for an instant, but it's like – Okay, well, you know, but but I beat the app. You know, I I bet made a bet against essentially the app, the house, uh, you know, uh, pen or you know whatever better or something like that, 
And then and then afterwards, it's like, okay, I, well, that means I have another hundred dollars to play with on this app. It doesn't actually satisfy. What's yeah. more satisfying is when you place a bet and you beat someone who either you know or is famous, meaning that you've mm. gone up against somebody who is famous and 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 beat them, and then you get this satisfaction of like, I was right and they were wrong. You know, mm. if, if it was if it was somebody you knew, you would just bust their balls over it, you know, for, for a week or so. You know, I can't believe that you had the Knicks, you know, in that in that <laughs> series or something like that. But I think that that's kind of what they're trying to restore on some level is this feeling of you know someone who took the other side of this bet. And that gives you something that it can be more satisfying than just, you know, I click the right yeah. button on the app at the on the right number on the right amount in order to come out on the winning side. That's so see I didn't even think about that aspect of it but I think that's a really that's a really good insight into what's being attempted there and um I do think it's all very sleazy and all very seedy. There's something sad about how these content factories can't just be profitable on their own. Mm-hmm. Um that's the other takeaway that even something as popular as Barstool which has built its own little world and it became a destination website in an era where there are only a few destination websites, even they have to become ultimately a subsidiary to gambling, uh, to big gamble. Um, and there's something to that. And then it just becomes about upselling atomized young men into betting increasing amounts of money. You mentioned parlay. That's a huge aspect of what the gambling companies want to do because the dirty secret about sports gambling is that you actually can win money betting sports. It's a little bit like blackjack in that if you know what you're doing, you're going to win money over time. Um, And if you don't know what you're doing, then the odds are not so bad that you're going to get destroyed if you're just any way responsible. But parlays, which combines a bunch of bets and when you really think about it the way probabilities work uh once you go hey what's the chance of me hitting this shot that's 50 percent two times in a row it drops to 25 i mean that's what's happening with the conjoined bets uh so much of their money is coming off of parlays and the entire game is going to be increasingly uh tricking tricking people or making people think this is the way to do it And I do think at a certain level, you do need to habituate them to the loser feeling because there's just going to be a lot of losers. And I think that's part of what's being attempted here. And and you want them to lose in a way that they feel like they almost got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Parlays are good for that. It's it's the carny game is what's going on with the parlays. Parlays are perfect for that because it's like I hit the first four. And if Mm. if only that had gone this way, then the fifth one would have hit. That that yeah. you know sort of thing that attitude is what keeps people coming back. My question to you is, you know, where does this go? Because clearly there is, clearly there's an appetite for this. Clearly there's a huge amount of interest in it. There's billions of dollars being spent in this area, but I feel like there's a pendulum swing. I feel like there's something that comes back against this in the sense that like the court can allow that the Supreme Court can allow something like this. But then I feel like politicians start paying attention to it and they start yeah. saying, you know, uh, who's being exploited here? You know, are these gambling companies, do they have, uh, you know, are they ripping off basically a bunch of young people who don't know any better? You know, all they have to have is 
you know, enough college age sons and daughters of senators and congressmen to get into a bad position over something like this for them to start paying attention to it. If there is a pendulum swing, what do you think it looks like? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, to be clear, when you're an NCAA athlete, you still can't you still can't mess around with this. The Cavenders immediately leapt into gambling after retiring from the NCAA. And I think what's interesting there is that they were making millions off being college basketball players and decided to quit when they had another year left because the money was good enough for them to do it. But I do think there will be an eventual pendulum swing back because, well, A, I'm getting feedback from people in England and in Australia where they liberalized and legalized sports betting before the United States. Most trends go United States to those places, and yeah. they they catch the tail end of what we're doing. But this has been reversed, and I was actually on Australian television last week, and it was almost like somebody from the future trying to warn me of what's ahead because I don't think it's worked out too well. It doesn't seem to drive enough revenue uh, tax-wise to really justify all the destroyed lives. And it's a big challenge because if you're libertarian-minded, then your attitude um, is justifiably perhaps, well, this is what adults are doing with their money, and I don't want to stand in the way of freedom. But I also don't know if we were ever designed to be able to bet vast sums of money on our phones. And I, as I get older, increasingly my political heuristic, such as I have one, is how did that work out? You know, yeah. it's how did that work out ism? If, <laughs> if in 2020, if they had defunded the police and crime plummeted, I would go, okay, like apparently that's what needed to happen. You know, it didn't, it wasn't intuitive to me. I wouldn't have expected it, but now my mind has changed and that's the thing to do. And so increasingly I I view a lot of uh, political scenarios less out of principles or priors and more from the perspective of, is this going to work out? What is this going to look like? And I suspect with this, you're kind of, you're kind of, it's, it's kind of a Chestertonian fence situation, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. We're removing the fence right now. We're going to remove the fence. We're going to see how it works. (laughs) If it doesn't work, we got to put the fence back. You know? Yeah, so yeah. If if when you take the fence away, uh, just <laughs> billions of dollars flood out of the pockets of college aged men on the other yeah. side of it, then I don't know if that's really what we want out of a society. When and there's this other thing that happens. It's so it's so difficult um, with vice. Uh, I don't want to obviously be throwing anybody in jail for gambling. But I think when you send the signal that this is totally mainstream, this is there's no kind of stigma at all to any of this, then you flip the other direction. And I don't know if at scale that's something that's really good for us when that becomes an advertisement on every single basketball and football game you watch that this is the thing to do. I feel similarly about weed where I don't want to throw people in jail for smoking weed, but I'm also a little bit wary as to what happens when it becomes so corporatized and mainstream. And I've got those reservations about, you know, is this really working out in the aggregate? 
uh, with gambling, I, I suspect that we're going to look back a few years from now and go, yeah, we got to regulate this a little bit more. Maybe people are allowed to do it, but maybe it can't be advertised on the airwaves, kind of like you couldn't advertise hard alcohol back in the day. And, you know, perhaps some of my libertarian friends are going to say that's messed up or this is that this or that bad externality. Um, but I'm probably going to hew towards if it's working out bad, we maybe need to do something. Maybe it's a good thing that Adam Sandler had to go see Mike Francesa, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that I, that's a good, that's a good <laughs> argument. And people would have counter arguments. People yeah, would yeah. say that the black market of gambling, um, and it's what you're alluding to in uncut gems, which th- that's not a very realistic portrayal of how it actually goes, by the way, as entertaining a movie as it is. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe that's better because you have fewer normal people because gambling addiction just seems to be one of these things where there are a lot of upstanding family people who can be responsible in all other aspects of life. But for this one, I, I don't know what it is about gambling, but you just hear, you hear a lot of stories like that. And that's very anecdotal as I know Richard Hanani was saying that, well, these are losers with poor impulse control and, you know, it would nope. represent itself. It would represent itself in any which way. And I don't have a statistical case to make against that. It's more anecdotal that there are actually a lot of people who aren't losers who still wipe themselves out I, doing this. And I don't think are, that's good. A lot of I don't think that's good for society. There are a lot of upper middle class dads whose yeah. gambling habits determine the quality of summer camp that their kids are going to go to. Yeah, so. <laughs> I know I know one particular major broadcaster, and I'm not going to reveal who because I'm not sure if he's talked about it, but he has talked about how his father was one of these people with a, a great job and a great income who died suddenly and left him basically with nothing because he was always in with the bookies. Um, and, yeah, I don't know if making it, uh, more omnipresent to where if you have a problem, you can't get away from it. I don't think that's what's good for society in the aggregate. And I say that as somebody who likes to bet an occasional game. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, a prude about it. I'm just watching and I'm going, yeah, you know, my spidey sense is tingling here. This doesn't seem to be going the right direction. <laughs> so, uh, so let's wrap up with this. You know, just sort of looking back at this experience, you, you cover uh these personalities uh uh the they they get mad at you and it blows up because they're good clickbait um mm. and uh and it gets more attention but it seems to me that there are actually a couple of takeaways from it uh that relate that could be you know perhaps lessons for uh other people who are going to emerge with similar uh advantages you know whether they're whether they're women mm. uh, or not um you know what did you kind of take away from the the overall experience? Is this something that you know? If uh, I, I don't, you know, I have daughters. Uh, mm. I read this piece, and I would say I would want them to not go down this road because yeah. I would want them to have something that was, uh, you know, more tied to uh, their abilities on the court or their abilities as it related to you know being an athlete. Um, that uh, could, you know, elevate them to a higher level as opposed to kind of turning that into influencer bait or however you want to, uh, yeah. uh, you know, sort of think about it. What were the basic lessons that you would take away, you know, for the listener who has a kid who's in high school who might be about to go to college and and maybe, you know, could end up in the NIL? What would you what would what advice would you give them? Ooh, it's a really good uh it's a really good question because I actually did talk to a few athletes and I didn't 
quote them who had modest NIL deals and weren't pursuing that. And that's a lot to ask of somebody if they think they can make a lot of money and they see their teammate making a lot of money, but all money ain't good money. And um, I don't think becoming such a parasocial bug light in that particular way for that particular reason is something that's easy to handle psychologically for a young person, be they technically an adult uh, or not. And so the Cavenders, here's a part about it um, that I think is maybe underrated is that I think being twins allows them to have some ballast to withstand some of the deranging aspects of, of that. Even if I don't, you know, agree with uh, their response to the piece and I find it completely absurd. I think that they, they don't see, they didn't seem crazy. They seemed polite. They seemed nice. Uh, for all I know, the response is another work to get more attention, which is the business they're in. Uh, but if you're not a twin and you're just on your lonesome doing this, I think it's it's really easy to go crazy when you're in the public eye. And especially if you're in the public eye, as you're saying, not for your words, not for your deeds, but that you're alluring to young men. Um, I mean, I guess some people are going to use it and they'll be comfortable on how they use it. And these, these are the rules and all that. But yeah, I think if I had a daughter in that situation, I'd probably want her to handle it a little bit more similar to some of the other, uh, women in college basketball I talked to who are more low key and might have a, a sponsor or two, you know, you know, like a brick and mortar, whatever, raise money for some good organization. I think that that seems to be better. Not not better B E T R, but B E T T E R. Last question. Uh, it's completely unrelated. Uh, what do you think about this Porzingis deal? I don't know. I haven't even really looked into it too too deep. Uh, my you know my my dumb guy take on the whole thing is that Porzingis is one of these more in theory than in practice kind of guys where it yeah. seems cool to have a guy who can stretch the floor, but uh, I not not agree. doesn't doesn't exactly exude uh, winner or, or doing what it takes to win, and uh, that's my. Bar stool, uh, not the site, but because that's what I, I'm in a very. You asked that question. I'm in a very odd position, Ben, because I do follow a lot of league trends. I do have conversations with a ton of people in basketball. I don't watch games anymore. I, I don't. I don't no, have time really for don't. it. I I, I watched you're, some you're playoff producing, games. You're producing Substack content and podcasts instead of watching yeah. games. That's it. I, I, I can't do everything and my kids are home in the evening. So I can't like, you know, at this age, I, daddy can't just be looking at a screen. And so the time is spent calling people, talking to people, reading about events. But I, back in the day when I was a sports, like a real sports reporter, I would be watching a ton of games. Yeah, (laughs) it was, you know, I do. It was, uh, it was, it it wasn't so long ago, but no, I spent most of, I spent most of my time uh, either with family writing, reporting. And so it's funny because there are a lot of people in basketball ops who are subscribed to my Substack, stack, subscribe today. But um, sometimes they'll be having conversations with me 
and they'll mention, yeah, we're on this, you know, you know, we're on this big losing streak. And I go, I actually didn't know that. I had no idea. I don't follow what's going on like that. I follow, you know, I follow other issues that this might not even make sense to some of your listeners, but I feel like if you read my site, you would understand how I could cover sports without really watching them like I did in the past. Yes. Yes. It's, uh, uh, well, you're covering, you're covering a lot of things. You're also covering the vibes and the vibes actually Mm -hmm. matter. So, yeah. uh, Ethan, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me, Ben. More of the Ben Dominish podcast right after this. So just a, a little bit of perspective uh, on sports for me, because we don't typically talk about it uh, on this podcast. You know, I have been frustrated really for years at the degree to which uh, sports writing, sports columnists in particular, uh, have experienced a series of decades of decline. Uh, there was once a point where sports columnists were really dominant uh, in terms of their influence, not just on fan bases, but on teams, on the behavior of, of certain franchises and the like, the frustrations of uh, major owners and team backers and others uh, with these writers were obviously, you know, quite well known. And whether that was uh, something that took place around, you know, draft time for the NFL or the MLB, or uh, whether it was taking place in terms of the the treatment and coverage uh, that was received via, you know, sports talk radio and the like in major American cities. It was something that I thought was, you know, at least entertaining, uh, at least something that would uh, inspire notice. But what's become, uh, you know, I think far more prevalent in the age of, of ESPN, even as it, it dwindles in terms of its uh, viewership and, and looks more and more at turning into a streaming product, uh, the, the simple fact is that they have nationalized and dumbed down the conversation around sports. So instead of actually having serious analysis of what's going on in the field of play, uh, what you have is this kind of uh, mediocre content uh, that is, you know, designed to be kind of a dollar menu approach to sports takes uh, that uh, is is meant for the masses. And then you have uh, things that are more niche and much more high end, I would say, uh, in the sports podcast world and in the world of, of gambling analysis and, and, and the like. You know, the, the simple fact is that as much as people might rag on, you know, an entity like, like Barstool Sports, uh, and say that it's you know something that you know has dumbed down the product to sort of a frat boyish uh, you know uh, cavalcade of uh, different characters that they've created. When you listen to the interviews that take place with top athletes, you are more likely to get a breakdown of different plays, why they worked, why they didn't work, or different approaches and strategy than you are likely to see on any of these programs. Uh, I think, you know, for instance, just, uh, you know, in terms of something that, that happened really uh, amazingly a few years ago, there was a an off-air kind of conversation that happened on the set of Baseball Tonight uh, with, uh, you know, involving Alex Rodriguez and a number of other uh, individuals where they were talking about their strategies when it came to, uh, you know, batting approaches. And that really went viral because people are actually interested in that kind of thing. They're not interested in the stupid commentary that you hear from most of these entities. Sports fans are smarter than you think they are. Uh, and they really dig into and, and want to know more about the strategies involved 
in various plays, uh, in, in the decisions that a coach is making, etc. cetera. Uh, and I think that that's something that unfortunately much of our sports media has lost uh, and they're not really interested in bringing it back. They just want the kind of dumb coverage, who's up, who's down. Uh, they don't want to actually dig into uh, the different aspects of various games, various contests that actually make the difference and that give you a greater perspective on the level of skill uh, these top-tier athletes are actually deploying when it comes to these things. Instead, it's just turned into essentially pro wrestling or something like that, where they're just characters who are in a preordained game uh, or something like that. And I find that to be, you know, frankly offensive. As a fan, I would much rather have people who are close to the games, close to the players, pay attention to these things, are in locker rooms, are covering things from a perspective that is much more uh, informed and reported journalism opinion as opposed to uh, the way that things are done today when you can have Tony Kornheiser living out in Delaware and Mike Wilbon living out in Arizona and both of them are the top columnists when it comes to a major city that they don't live in or near. It's absolutely disgusting and I think that it's by far time that we moved away from such a model of this type of nationalist uh, approach uh, to sports that makes no distinction about where you're from or what you know. I'm Ben Dominich. You've been listening to the Ben Dominich Podcast. We'll be back soon with more to dive back into the fray. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.